Hello and welcome into BTN's Take 10 podcast. This is Alex Rue of BTN, and I want to welcome you to August as uh, this episode drops on, I believe, August 2nd, which means a whole lot more football content will be coming at you on the show real soon. Um, as the calendar is turned to August, that means training camp and practices are ramping up right before the start of Big Ten football season at the end of the month. And that also means BTN bus tour is getting underway here soon. And we'll be getting out to all 14 schools and hopefully we'll have 14 football player interviews for you broken up into a few episodes here on the show. But uh, before we get to those tour-themed episodes, we've got a Change of Pace episode for you today because this episode features the first-ever WNBA player that has joined the Take 10 podcast. Megan Gustafson, the all-time leading scorer at Iowa, the reigning national player of the year, reigning Big Ten player of the year. Her accolades would uh, take up several minutes, probably just a list. Bottom line is she's a great player, and she also was kind enough to join the show um, from a road trip with her current WNBA team, the Dallas Wings. So we've got an interview with Megan coming up. Megan uh, was awesome to talk to. We've been trying to set the interview up for a little while, and we finally got it done. So I appreciate her coming on and sharing her story. Um, she'll get into it in just a moment, but it's a fascinating story because she was uh, drafted by the Dallas Wings, then cut before the season started, and then re-signed by the Wings. And she joined us to tell us what that process was like. So cool interview with uh, Megan coming up. And then following that interview, we have a familiar voice rejoining the show, uh, PTN stat head and researcher Harold Shelton jump back on for his usual weekly stat head segment. We took a break because there's no Big Ten sports going on right now, but uh, he jumped back on to preview Big Ten football, preview the college football season, and talk a little bit about the bus tour that we're about to embark on. So stat head segment is back, Harold's back, and that interview follows Megan Gustafson. So we'll get to Megan's interview right now. It's our discussion with the reigning National Player of the Year in women's basketball, Megan Gustafson, and it starts right now. I'm very pleased to be joined by the reigning AP Player of the Year in women's college basketball. She was a four-year superstar at Iowa and now plays for the Dallas Wings in the WNBA. It's Megan Gustafson, and she's calling from the team bus in Las Vegas, Nevada. Megan, how's it going? Good. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for taking some time. And I know that ride uh, from the airport to the Las Vegas Strip or wherever you're going isn't that long, so we'll dive right into some hard-hitting questions real quick. Um, first off, you recently tweeted that you got a haircut, and this was right after you took a Twitter poll from your followers on if you should get a haircut or not. And they <laughs> voted against it. So what happened? How did you go against your followers' wishes? I mean, you know, I was kind of wanting to switch it up and try a new style, especially in Texas. The heat's pretty pretty crazy there and so um you know i just kind of wanted to see what everyone thought and i know it's hard to kind of picture me in something other than the really long hair because i know that's my signature but um you know it's going well um i'm very glad of my decision but i've had a lot of support too on twitter even though i did go against their wishes initially yeah i was gonna say the feedback was good once you uh tweeted out the picture your haircut and i also read that you uh you got a tattoo recently is that right i did yes what is the tattoo of um, it's on my spine, and it is my favorite Bible verse, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I actually got it um, unknowing what was going to happen that night. So when I got back from my getting my tattoo, I got the call back from my agent to go back to Dallas. So I thought that was really cool. Uh, def- definitely a really cool sign. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, 
I'll get into your story a little more here for those who don't know. Uh, you were drafted 17th overall by the, the Dallas Wings, uh, cut in the preseason, and then re-signed by the same team, the Dallas Wings, that cut you. So getting to that story a little bit more, was it hard to sit through those picks before you after you know you averaged 28 points a game in college you're named the best player in college basketball what was it like on on draft night yeah honestly it was a great night um it's something that i'll never forget you know it's kind of a, a dream for a basketball player to be able to be at the WNBA draft period name called and um honestly it was a little nerve-wracking you know kind of hearing everyone else's names just because you know you're kind of watching them figure out their futures and you still don't know yours and so i think that was the only thing that made me nervous but you know, I just kind of trusted what was going to happen, and I'm so glad I'm in Dallas. So obviously Iowa prepared you well, and you prepared yourself well during your time there to have success and put yourself in this position. So for those who might not know a ton about the women's basketball program at Iowa, what were some of the biggest benefits or your favorite aspects of playing for that school? You know, there's so many things that makes Iowa so great. Um, you know, for one thing, it's definitely a family atmosphere, and um, the coaches, it really starts with the coaches and how – welcoming and uh, you know amazing they are and they really care about us as more than just basketball players you know they care about us as people as women as students um, and so that was a huge emphasis for me coming into it you know especially you know going on my own first time away from home and so uh, that was definitely that atmosphere as well as having great teammates to support me yeah so what was that process like once you were cut the first time and, and you were welcomed back to Iowa City to work out um, there, was, there was probably never any, you know, hesitation with that. They welcome you back right away, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I went home for a couple of days, and then I went right back to Iowa to start, you know, to continue training because I knew that, you know, something may happen. You know, I might get back to the WNBA. Uh, someone might pick me up. You know, Dallas might take me back. And so um, I had to be ready, um, and I wanted to train really hard for that. So, um, you know, the coaches, they were so welcoming. You know, I got lunch with them as soon as I got to Iowa, and uh, they've just been so supportive and, um, it was really cool just to be with them and visit with them a little bit longer. And But they were so happy that I got the call back as well. Yeah. Can you take me through that process and that swing of emotions a little bit? So you were cut, obviously, um, not a not a good thing to go through for any athlete. But what was the, the range of emotions like from that moment to when you got the call that they were re-signing you in Dallas? Yeah, it's been quite the roller coaster of emotions these past couple months. Um, obviously it was devastating to get the, the you know, to get cut. I know I was one of the final two players cut from the team before opening night. So, um, you know, just looking into the WNBA from the outside is something that I don't ever want to go through again. But um, I think it grew me as a person. Um, you know, it really tested my faith. And, um, you know, I was able to really create my blog, my faith blog, because of getting cut and um, realizing what's most important to me. And so, um Honestly, it was hard to go through, but I'm glad it happened. And, um, you know, that made me, made me even more thankful uh, that I did get the call back to come back. Do you have any idea that might happen? Like, were there any indications from your agent or the team that, that a re, uh, reunion might happen? You know, a little bit. So a couple of days before I got the call, I talked with my agent. Um, you know, I just was asking her about if there's any kind of situation with Dallas. Um, you know, I know they, they started off the season – um, losing their first five games, and so uh, my agent thought, you know, they may, they might need some help, um, especially with injuries and stuff like that. So she said she was going to look into the situation, and I didn't hear anything for a couple of days, so I was thinking maybe nothing of it. And then, you know, all of a sudden I got the call back. Yeah, and in that meantime, when you didn't know what you were going to do next professionally or, or in basketball whatsoever, 
you committed to play in the basketball tournament that's been airing on ESPN the last few weeks or so for the Iowa alumni team. And obviously once the Wings did end up re-signing you, that opportunity went away. But how did that potential plan come together of you playing for that Iowa TBT team? Yeah, so it actually happened um, a couple days after I got cut. Um, I got I got asked by one of the players, Nicholas Bear. I know him from Iowa, obviously, and um, he said that you know, their team is really interested in bringing me on. And I thought, well, why not? You know, I've got nothing else going on, and I thought it'd be really cool to just um, you know play at a high level of basketball. At the end of the day, that's what I want to do, and so that was giving me a chance to do that. And um, to represent the state of Iowa, you know, I love doing that. And uh, it was just a really cool opportunity. I'm thankful that they even thought about me to bring me on this, to the team, even though I didn't actually end up playing for them. Yeah, it's interesting to think about. I mean, the, the summer league of the, the basketball tournament is only a few years old, but you would have been the first woman to play in the TBT. So was that potential important to you about you know showing potentially that opportunity, what you could do playing basketball against the men? Yeah, you know, I thought that um, you know I could really bring um, – you know, a new perspective to the game of basketball and, you know, having, having a woman in there, um, can kind of just show that, um, you know, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day, we're all basketball players and we all are very skilled and very talented. And, um, you know, again, I just wanted to play at the end of the day and this was going to give me the opportunity, but I'm glad I was able to uh, represent female athletes as well. So let's get into the WNBA a little bit and your, your time there so far, what's been an aspect of the league that you didn't expect or something that, that kind of opened your eyes about playing professionally at that level? Yeah, um, you know, I've learned so much. It's been an amazing experience. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different things that really go into it. You know, a lot of things that, you know, behind the scenes that people don't get to see, which is all the hard work and dedication that um, these women really put into their sport. You know, we're doing this for a career, you know, not just for fun or anything like that. But, um, you know, it's just amazing to be surrounded by such amazing role models and, um, you know, women who are really strong, independent, powerful people. And, um, I think that's been the most uh, exciting thing about the league. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot, too, about really just wanting to continue to work hard. Was there anyone you've gone up against so far that's kind of hit you like, whoa, I'm really going up against somebody like a, a, a Brittany Griner or somebody that you grew up watching probably? Right. Yeah, I would probably definitely say her. Um, I think my, my very first game I went back in was, you know, I was going after rebound against oh, against Brittany Grind, and she actually headlocked me. And um, I did I did draw the foul, and, and my headband fell off, but she gave it back to me. So I think that was kind of my eye-opening moment of, okay, I'm actually in the league now. Um, but it's just been so cool to be around, again, these amazing athletes, and I'm just thankful to be here. So besides the excessive heat that you mentioned down in Dallas, how are you adjusting to the city otherwise? Like, is there any sort of uh... – part of town or restaurants or activities you've gotten into since moving? Yeah, you know, Dallas is really awesome. Uh, we actually play in Arlington, Texas, right next to Dallas, but I've been able to explore, you know, a little bit of Dallas, a little bit of Arlington, Fort Worth, you know, that whole area. There's just so many different things to do. It's a huge area. You know, the Texas Rangers are here. Dallas Cowboys are there. Um, you know, and Six Flags is there. So I'm definitely going to keep on doing some exploring. You're a Six Flags fan? I, I yes, I love roller coasters, but I haven't had a chance to go to the one in Arlington. But I'm super excited to try that out sometime soon. See, I love roller coasters too, but I can't do the spinning rides. I don't know about you. Oh yeah, those ones make me kind of dizzy. <laughs> Same. Uh, so just to wrap up here, Megan, you obviously spend a lot of time with your teammates and uh, those women on the road. You're on the bus right now with them. Um, do you guys do any team bonding events or anything that 
uh, you guys can get together and, and get to know each other as a team? Yeah. Um, you know, whenever we're at away games, just like I am now, a lot of us have um, free time to get dinner and whatever. And so a lot of times, you know, in college, you have like those set pre- pre-game meals and, you know, everything that we have to go through. But here, we're a little bit more free. And so a lot of us will try to go together and try to find a really cool place for dinner or or breakfast the next morning. And so those are um, awesome, awesome opportunities to be able to get to know each other. Yeah, I was going to say, any uh, big plans for Vegas while you guys are there? The the WNBA All-Star game was just there, so I'm sure the uh, word is out about any recommendations that people might have. Yeah, I'm definitely going to have to look into it. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm just excited to be here and uh, can't wait to play tomorrow. One more question um, about some off-the-court stuff. I saw you tweeting about watching The Bachelorette, so clearly you have some, some free time, at least a little bit. What do you think of uh, the current season? Oh, it's been pretty crazy. You know, always full of drama as usual. Uh, you know, I'm kind of hoping Hannah either picks Tyler C or Peter, um, but and I, I don't really have any control over that. But you know, obviously, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually miss the finale tomorrow because I have a game. But obviously, the game's more important, so I guess I'll just catch up on it afterwards. Yeah, you can get someone that someone to DVR that for you. So uh, <laughs> I know I know Bachelorette and Bachelor Mondays are a big deal, but uh, basketball comes first, obviously. Yes. <laughs> All right, Megan, I really appreciate you taking some time. Uh, glad we were able to get this interview on the books. And best of luck as you continue your professional basketball career. Thank you so much. All right, thanks once again to Megan for joining us. I think that's the first interview I've done on the show with somebody who was on the team bus heading from the airport to the hotel. So appreciate her squeezing some time in uh, with us. And good luck to her as she carves out her professional basketball career all right moving on now i touched on it earlier but we brought harold shelton back into the fold he hasn't joined us for a few months because basketball season ended and uh his main two sports that he does the stat head stuff for is football and basketball so it's good to have him back on as football season approaches so with h as always there's uh some numbers a lot of really valuable insight and just some really good casual sports talk as well so Take it over to Harold Shelton, BTN's in-house researcher. It's a stat hit segment, and it starts right now. All right, Alex Rue here back in the studio, and I am back, thankfully, once again, with the stat head, Harold Shelton. It's our first stat head segment in quite a while. H, how you doing, man? I'm good. Hard to believe we got one of these in July, but uh, it's a good thing. I know. I mean, it's football season's around the corner. I know. It's weird. I miss you, man. It's It's Likewise. been too long. I think it's been since like April or, or sometime in the spring um, with no sports really going on outside of uh, or inside of football and basketball. So glad to get you back at it here as we approach football season. Before we even get into any of that, how was your summer? Summer was good. Uh, you know, I went to Italy with my mom. That was awesome. Um, and then just kind of did some stuff around the city. You know, summertime shy is a real thing. I definitely uh, enjoyed a lot of that. No doubt, yeah. And, and we're talking like summer's over. It's really not for, like, regular people out there. Right. For us, it pretty much is because yeah. we're heading on the bus tour uh, to go to all the 14 campuses in the Big Ten. We'll talk about that in a little bit here. But um, let's talk some, some Big Ten football first because – since media day a couple weeks ago it's kind of been all everyone's been thinking about around here it's what everyone's kind of waiting for we're in the dog days of summer right now where just begging for some uh some real sports to get in their way because because baseball's great and everything but the stakes need to come back for me like the stakes of a football season i don't know about you but i'm ready for it yeah i definitely am and as a co-worker one as a co-worker once said football media day is kind of like the two-minute warning of the summer 
That's a good so, one. I've never heard that. Yeah, I uh, I said I had to steal that one from, but I at least had to give him a little bit of a shout out. So Ryan Kelly, thank you for that one. Um, he's absolutely right. Like once media day gets here, like you know, the season is is right around the corner. Uh, like you said, for normal people, they could still enjoy most of August like at their leisure. For us, we are you know putting our nose to the, to the ground and we're getting getting ready for football. Yeah, you know, football season's almost here when you know Hard Knock starts to come out on HBO and Last Chance You on Netflix now is another one that's kind of an indicator. That's when I really started to taste it. And also another indicator for me is when some of these preseason rankings start coming out and these stories start coming out and fans get all worked up because their team is either, you know, highly rated or not as, as uh, highly ranked as they think they should be. And one of the metrics that caught my eye, I think it was a few weeks ago now, was the FBI that ESPN puts out, which essentially, you know, I'm no, I'm no math whiz, as you know, that's why we have this segment, but it, it projects or simulates these games out, I think a thousand times or something like that, um, for the upcoming season. And it gave Michigan nearly a 50% chance to win the Big Ten, with the next closest being Penn State at 10%. Ohio State at 8%. A lot of teams really just bunched up. Like, for example, I was surprised to see Minnesota nearly at 8% up there with Ohio State with a chance to win their division. Obviously, in different divisions, but still, it's, it's striking to see how close uh, some of the computer algorithms think the Big Ten's going to be outside of giving Michigan a huge shot. So, I want to know, in your opinion, if what we'll see in the field reflects the bunching up of a lot of teams and the edge that a formula like the FPI gave Michigan? Um, so I noticed the Big Ten football uh, media writers, they also had a poll, and they had Michigan favored to win that one as well. It uh, seems like Michigan has been favored uh, in a lot of the preseason mags that I've seen as well. I mean, they do have a lot coming back. They've got the most all Big Ten players from last year back. They've got the most uh, guys on national watch lists of any team in the conference. So there is a lot of talent returning for them. Um, they have the schedule. They have Ohio State at home. They get Michigan State at home. They get Notre Dame at home. I know that's not a conference game, but they at least get all three of them at home. And, you know, I just want – but for me, I want to see it on the field. Like, we, we've we heard so much about the resurgence and, you know, last year was the revenge tour, and then something always happens when the calendar turns to November, and, you know, they fall a little short. So I do think they're positioned to, you know, at least be there at the end. But until they – beat Ohio State, you know, I'll have to, they'll see it to believe it yeah, before one, I buy in. One thing that computers can't measure, and I don't think all writers take into account, is the amount of space that may or may not be occupied in their psyche by Ohio State, because like it's inquantifiable, but it's, it's, it's a real thing. Like, you can't ignore the fact that Michigan has lost to Ohio State so many times in the last 15 years. It's, you saw it last year, it all kind of crumbled in Columbus, um, in that rivalry week matchup, and, and it seemed like the stars were all aligning for Michigan. So, like you said, if, it's going to be really interesting to see how those seasons play out in the Big Ten East, which is being called probably the best division in college football by a lot of pundits. Uh, I don't want to just talk about Ohio State and Michigan. What do you think about teams like Penn State? I know you're, you're a Sparty guy, which we talk about all the time on here. What do you think about what's going on in the West? People say that's a competitive division, even though it might not be as strong top to bottom. Um, what do you think about some of the other teams that are bunched up in a lot of these rankings from both computers and from uh, from writers? Uh, so, yeah, so for the East, 
Um, we, we talked about Michigan Ohio State already. The football writers that the the poll that the Cleveland.com did, Doug Lemarie, who does a great job with this every year. Um, you know, he gets, you know, the media writers around the conference to, you know, basically have predictions of how the East and West would be and the players of the year and all of that. So yeah, Michigan Ohio State pretty much separated from everybody else. I want to say Michigan had 21st place votes, Ohio State at 14. Michigan State and Penn State were bunched together at three and four. Pretty much no separation between the two. Uh, that wouldn't shock me uh, if that played out in a regular season. I do think that it's interesting that Michigan State and Penn State both return a ton on defense. Um, offense, obviously, question marks. We saw how bad Michigan State, how bad Michigan State was last year. Penn State has to replace Trace McSorley, and I think one of these things that always happens in preseason uh, prognostications is if you lose a starting quarterback or you don't have a lot of returning offensive production, you seem to kind of get dinged for that, even if you are expected to be really good on defense, as both uh, Michigan State and Penn State are expected to be. And you see that with Nebraska. They've got Adrian Martinez back, and they're favored to win the West despite going 4-8 and eight a year ago. Right. You know, Michigan's favored to win the East despite losing a ton on defense, but they've got a lot of weapons on offense. Shea Patterson back. So I just think that's really interesting. And, and for the West, I mean, that's going to be wide open. Like we said, Nebraska went 4-8, and eight, and they're the favorite. And five teams in that poll got a first-place vote. I mean, that thing's going to be extremely wild. One thing that's interesting, too, or I think something you really have to focus on when trying to project a league that's as deep and as big as the Big Ten is the scheduling, right? Because you have all these protected rivalries, you have crossovers that might not be balanced as far as teams from the West playing the East and vice versa. So just being the stat head that you are and looking over the schedules leading into the season... Who would you say is set up well as far as their crossover schedules go and who has a tough road ahead if they want to uh, make it to Indy? Um, for the West, and, you know, Jerry DiNardo had a very interesting idea about this. He thinks that the crossovers a lot of times for the West can pretty much decide who wins a division. And so his idea was if you go undefeated in your division, like, you should qualify for Indy. I don't know if I necessarily agree with it, but I think it's a very interesting point. Because Wisconsin, for instance, has Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State as their crossovers. Brutal. That's brutal. Like, Minnesota has Rutgers, Maryland, and Penn State. So, like, they miss Michigan State and Ohio State, and they get Penn State at home. Mm -hmm. So, they miss three of the top four from that division, while Wisconsin gets, you know, three of them. And, you know, if if that schedule is the reason why Wisconsin doesn't go... And they go, you know, through the division undefeated and lose all three crossovers. That doesn't seem to be too fair to me. I agree. I think that's an interesting point um, brought up by Jerry. And you know, the, Joel Klatt was on this podcast at Media Days, and, and he's just, he just he kind of spoke to the grander idea of schedule and balance across college football. It's not just Big Ten East, Big Ten West. It's some leagues playing nine games, some playing eight, some having buys sprinkled in. A team like Michigan doesn't really have any breaks for nearly two months so it's interesting and for me it's why I think it's been the biggest frustration for me with college football just growing up as a fan is like some schools are just not playing on a level playing field I think that's why March Madness is more appealing to me just as a as a college fan because every team pretty much has a shot to get to the tournament and once you're in the tournament 
roll the ball out and play. So I, I, I don't know if, if you think it's more of a systematic, systemic issue with college football, but um, I think it's something that for some reason it's just been hard for the sport to untangle itself from all these, uh, I guess, networks of kind of bureaucracy, really, between rivalries and committees and all that. I agree. And, I mean, you look, there's some teams that are going to be playing, like, 11 power conference teams, mm-hmm. and then you're going to have teams in other leagues that only play eight. And if you're going to tell me that playing, you know, a non-Power 5 or an FCS is similar to playing 11 power conference games, like, I just don't think that's true. And an interesting scheduling quirk this year in the Big Ten is uh, since the calendar is kind of pushed back this year, we have five November weeks. So you're going to have two bye weeks for everybody. Mm -hmm. And kind of to your your point about Michigan, if you look at Michigan State, they've got a ridiculous uh, bye schedule where they – have a buy, they play a game, and then they have another buy. Like that, that's almost right in reverse, that. right? Like right. You, you don't really want that as a football exactly. team. Exactly. So, like you said, the the placement of the buys or the off weeks, I think, could potentially you know determine a lot. And what else could determine a lot is the non conference schedule and how Big Ten teams fare in the non conference. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves and start talking about individual games in conference or even really talk about many individual games in particular. But I just want to kind of glaze over the the non-conference schedule and see if there's any games that stand out to you as far as mar- uh, marquee non-conference games. Like last year, the TCU-Ohio State one was one that we pointed to, and it's like, okay, Ohio State definitely needs to win that game to stay in the playoff hunt. I don't know that there's that many huge ones besides Notre Dame and Michigan this year, and that's later on. Um, I don't know if there's any that jump out to you. Like Iowa-Iowa State's always one every year that always gets hyped. It's always interesting. Are there any that I'm missing or, or any off the top of your head that you think of the non-con? Uh, in terms of college football playoff, I mean, Notre Dame-Michigan is the obvious one. It's just going to be weird that it's a late October game this year. And like Northwestern did that last year with Notre right, Dame, too. Yeah, right, yeah, I think they played them in November last year. So it's kind of interesting to see, you know, a marquee matchup like that uh, late in the year. I'd be curious to hear from coaches if they like that break in the action from the Big Ten monotony or do they like getting it all out of the way early. Um, like you said, Iowa, Iowa State's always fun. Um, I think those are going to be two evenly matched teams. I don't know if that necessarily will have any playoff implications, but that's always just a fun rivalry in general. I know Purdue's got a couple of, of nice home games with Vandy and, and yeah, they TCU. got a pretty packed uh, non-conference schedule. Yeah, Brom's exactly. scheduling hard. Um, mm-hmm. I know you, your, your Spartans, they got the rematch with Arizona State, right? Right. That didn't go well for Michigan State last year, right? No, they uh, they wore down in that, that desert heat in September and lost in the fourth quarter. So hopefully uh, it's not 108 degrees or whatever it is in sep- mid-September in East Lansing. You never know how it's been around the Midwest lately. But exactly. Herb Edwards is uh, bringing a squad to East Lansing. What do you what do you think about uh, a revenge revenge tour of your own for the Spartans in that, that be game? That would be nice. You know, more often than not, it seems like Michigan State kind of stumbles in one of these non-conference games. Um, you know, whether it's a Notre Dame or an Arizona State, um, they just seem to always start uh, Big Ten play with you know two and one, three and one, whatever mm-hmm. it is. It'd be nice to kind of have a clean sheet going in a conference play. I think a intriguing uh, barometer test for a new head coach is going to be. Maryland and Mike Loxley when they take on Syracuse. That could be a good one. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, again, Maryland, you know, last two years they upset Texas uh, in the season opener. I think they get Syracuse in week two this year. They've been more early season noise than anyone, really. Yeah, exactly. It's just a matter of can they stay healthy because, you know, they pull off an upset and then that injury bug bites them hard at the quarterback position and then they're left scrambling the rest of the year. Uh, you know, they've they've definitely had their issues, missed the, the postseason three of the last four years. But If you look at Syracuse, uh, Dino Babers has kind of done oh, what, yeah. what Jeff Brom has done in Purdue a little bit. Yep. I mean, you've seen them upset Clemson a couple years ago. You know, they were a top-20 team last year. You know, a really fun, exciting offense. Uh, so that, that'll that be a lot of fun. And, and for me, just seeing, you know, two black head coaches on the sideline against each other in a marquee matchup like that, is, it's always good to see. Yeah, for sure. And I think Maryland fans would love if Lasso could do what Babers is doing at Syracuse. So. Exactly. So, uh, H, moving on before we wrap up, I, I do want to talk another overarching subject before we, uh, before we close it out here, and that is a theme that's jumped out to me, and that's the quarterback spot heading into – 2019. I mean, it seems like there's a lot of uncertainty, maybe not positionally or for, as far as position battles go, but new guys coming in, having to replace a lot of production. You look at places like Penn State where there's been guys entrenched there for a long time, like Trace McSorley or Alex Hornibrook at Wisconsin, even though he was a little shaky toward the end. Um, there, there's places where there are QB battles going to be going on, like Illinois with a transfer and Brandon Peters coming in and a, and a highly rated quarterback coming in as a freshman in uh baby juice isaiah williams so northwestern's another team that's got a highly rated guy coming in but even as fitz kind of alluded to i don't know how much of that was uh just bluster at, at media day but he was like we don't have a starting quarterback yet i don't know this is news to me that you guys are crowning hunter johnson as the starter <laughs> so there's just a lot of uncertainty i don't know what jumps out to you um and and kind of who the question marks are throughout the big 10 but it's going to be interesting to see the level of QB play this year. Yeah, no, I definitely think it's interesting. And I think it's interesting just the last few years, you know, the rise of the transfer quarterback in the Big Ten. I mean, you mentioned Brandon Peters at Illinois, but, you know, you had Shea Patterson come in last year at Ole Miss, all coming in from Ole Miss. Uh, Hunter Johnson coming in from Clemson. You got Justin Fields coming in from Ohio State, mm-hmm. before Ohio State, from Georgia. So it's just a lot of, you know, banking on guys from other places. Josh Jackson coming from Virginia Tech to Maryland. I mean, there's just, one, yeah. there's just so many like transfer guys that a lot of these Big Ten schools are counting on uh, to you know run the most important position on the team. And it's you know some cases you had to have a guy sit out, and in other cases you know they're coming right in and playing. So it's going to be very interesting to see uh, you know how those situations play out. I mean, you were the first guy to tell me last year when never Dwayne Haskins broke a record and he set the Big Ten touchdown record, obliterated it, and. He was obviously a huge success from last year, first-round pick in the NFL. How much do you think the drop-off will be, if at all, from Haskins to Justin Fields? Well, I don't think Fields is the, the passer that Haskins is. I mean, I feel like Fields is more uh, in the JT Barrett mold in terms of you know athletic quarterback, running quarterback. No I mean, Stephen he, A. Smith mistakes here saying Haskins is a running quarterback. No, you know, we no, know, no, no, no. We know what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't believe that happened. But, um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we knew Haskins had, you know, the much better arm than Barrett. And, you know, with that offense with Ryan Day and him throwing the ball down the field, that was perfect. Um, I'll be curious to see with Fields. Uh, you know, he was, you know, the number two player coming out of high school. Um, you know, it was a huge recruit for Georgia. I mean, it's huge that he was able to transfer in and play right away for Ohio State. I, 
I, I can't really say that I expect him to set the world on fire like Haskins did just because that's such a high bar that he set a right. year ago. But I just think they're going to look different. I think you're going to just see more running from that position. It might not be as many deep balls. It might be you know more QB read type stuff. Right. It's going to be interesting to see also some of these quarterbacks who are competing for jobs. Uh, yeah, Wisconsin's one that's fascinating to me with, oh, with yeah. Mertz and Cohn, and I think um, fans will be interested to, to hear our expert opinions. Not our, not me and you necessarily, but Dave, Jerry, and Howard when we come out of Madison in a couple weeks. It's funny you mentioned Wisconsin because I feel like from the last two years on the, the bus tour, Wisconsin is the place where we've learned the most. And two years ago, it was a Friday night scrimmage, and when we learned about Jonathan Taylor, we literally did not know what the situation was. That was like, was whoa, be. like this dude. Like, first carry, 80 right. yards against, you know, the first team defense. Right. And then, you know, the next drive, he catches the screen pass with one hand and takes the 80 again. And we're all looking at each other like, who is this dude? Mm-hmm. Like, it's only a matter of time before he gets on the field. And now he's already run for 4,000 yards. And then last year, you know, they were really hyped up, you know, number four in the country preseason. And we saw, like, they had some issues up front. Like, you know, they had some injuries. You know, they had to move a lineman over to D-tackle. And you're kind of looking and you're like, they could be good. But I don't know about, like, national title, you know, fourth best team in the country good. So, you know, both times we've been there the last two years has been eye-opening for different reasons. Right. And right now – I think I'm trying to be this content bridge between Media Day and the bus tour and try and touch on as many things as possible. And before we talk a little bit about the bus tour coming up, uh, I want to get your impressions on some of the rules and rule changes that were talked about at Media Day. We had uh, Bill, Bill Carollo, is mm-hmm. that, the, is that our, our officials guy? Yep. So he was up there explaining some of the rule changes and there's so many rules in football that, that are prone to change across different levels of the sport. But the one that's always stuck out to me and bothered me is the targeting rule. Cause I think it, it, it hands out undue punishment and an unfair punishment on players when there could be just a, a mistake. And I don't think it's consistently applied across all aspects of the sport. I, I've seen guys lower their heads and head hunt and, the call not be upheld and the opposite happened where I think it's a clean hit and the guy gets kicked out of the game and it's a, that's a huge punishment in a season that only has 11 or 12 games so there's a couple updates to targeting um, one is that the call in the field can't simply stand anymore right like if the targeting is called it has to be reviewed and determined one way or the other correct? right yep correct and also three targeting calls on a player is a suspension yeah one correct? game suspension so so what's your impression of the targeting rule because again i don't like it overall i think that the first targeting call should be maybe a 15 yard penalty unless the guy's been headhunting and it's like their third or fourth on the season and then maybe this uh, another targeting call then you get ejected what do you think overall on the rule and, and the tweaks to that were announced this year i still think the first penalty is still too harsh um, I agree with you where, you know, I, I feel like there should be, like, a system or, or levels to it. Um, you know, if a guy gets, you know, accidental targeting, even though it's still targeting, a guy shouldn't miss a whole half for that. Um, I do like the fact that if a guy is a repeat offender and, he, you know, he's kind of known as being a headhunter and he continues to do these things over and over again, that a harsher punishment is there. But I don't know if this necessarily fixes the targeting rule. I think it just uh, 
applies for like the headhunters that you mentioned. I still think there's more work that needs to be done there. Right. For me, the NFL functions fine without targeting right now. They've cleaned up the game a little bit as far as dirty and excessive hits go, and you don't lose players for excessive amounts of time, in my opinion. Another rule that functions well in the NFL that I need, I hope you're on board with me on this because it drives me nuts, is the play clock stopping after first downs in college. It's not like it's on the table to be chopped or or tweaked at any point, but it's something year after year that I get more agitated with just because the games take so long. I don't know if you're with me on that or not. The games do take too long. Um, I'm not a fan of them stopping after every first down. I definitely think that there needs to be some kind of change there. Um, I don't know if it necessarily has to go strict to the NFL rule. Like maybe if there was like some happy medium where right inside you know, two stops, minutes, yeah, inside yeah. two minutes it stops. But yeah, after every single first down, it stops. I mean, you get that's why you get four hour games. You get four hour games, and, and games sometimes aren't exciting, and they just get dragged out. And it, it's you know. It, I shouldn't be complaining because I, at the end of the day, I love watching college football for a living. But sometimes you're on your seventh game of the day, and it's 11:45 p.m. and it's dragging. But I digress on that. I do like the overtime rule. I do like. Yeah, the is that there. that's uh, um, what is it? Fifth overtime. Fifth overtime. You just start trading two point plays at this point. Um, I do think How overtime. How often are we going to see that? Like, I get it. Well, but, the problem was last year you had the seven OT game with LSU and Texas A&M, right. and they're worried that was awesome. about. Yeah, it, yeah, it is awesome, but they're worried about player safety, and right. guys are yeah. pretty much dead on the field, and you know it's you're playing in that heat for it, four hours. Yeah, and, it's a reactionary rule change where something happens once, like in the Rams and Saints game with that egregious miss call, and then they all scramble to change the rules. Right. So. I think overtime needs to be changed in general in college. I, I'm not a fan of starting at the 25-yard line in general. Like I kind of wish there was a hybrid between the college yep. and the NFL rule. But 25 is so close. Yeah. You know? like make, you, make them earn it. Start at the 50 or something. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, all right, H, you got time to talk bus tour real quick before we wrap? Yes, sir. All right, so we're heading out here in a few days. Um, we'll be rolling into Bloomington, Indiana on – Sunday, August 4th, going to their practice on Monday, August 5th, and uh, we'll take off from there. So, you know, we're not obviously in, like, evaluation roles like Dave, Jerry, and Howard are. We have other jobs and roles to do. You know, I'm trying to keep my Twitter fingers fresh and and updating everyone on what's going on social media, and you are making sure everyone is up to speed on all the stats and and planning for the shows and all that. But curious, what do you kind of – Having having been on the tour many times now, I've been on it a few times. What do you look for, and what do you kind of get out of the, the tour as a whole when you're uh, stopping at these schools? Where you know there's levels to each practice, there's levels to the access we get. What do you take away from it, and what are you looking for? I know for me, a lot of times I like to catch up with the SIDs at the different mm-hmm. schools, and you know I'll try to ask some of them about. You know, some new guys we haven't seen that we should keep an eye out for. Um, you know, if a returner has you know improved, if there's any position battles we should be looking at. And sometimes since Jerry Howard and Dave are all, you know, kind of spread out doing their own thing, if I could find some of that intel and tell them, then it, maybe that's something that they hone in, it, hone in on more and then that can get uh, on the show. So I try to do that. Um, it's always just a good, good way to catch up with people. And then I like going to the different restaurants. I'm always a big foodie guy, and so I'm always asking, like, hey, what's the best restaurant in town? Let's try to go there. So I definitely try to have my football fix, but also have my 
my food fix and try to create a work-life balance on this tour. Yeah, the the eating for free, that part does not suck about no. this tour. You, know, it's a long you gain t- 10, 15 pounds <laughs> if you're not careful, but I do enjoy the food. Yeah, it's a long trip, but it's worth it when you can kind of check out what all the campuses have to offer. Like Honestly, it's cool seeing kind of the similarities and the unique aspects of all these campuses because sure. the Big Ten is a very diverse yes. and spread out and interesting campus when you kind of see all 14 together and i'm not sure anyone really gets to do that outside of that bus you know it's very rare and there's some long bus rides (laughs) on there you know columbus to college park is pretty long and you know you get worse than minnesota to nebraska yeah right that's a a seven or eight hour hike it's pretty long yeah but you know i can't again i cannot complain it's it's a lot of we got wi-fi on the bus we're kicking bags i mean it's not with first world problems brings me to my next question you are in a unique spot not only because you're one of the few people who gets to go to all 14 schools, if you choose, um, you're in the back of the bus the whole time with Dave, Jerry, and Howard. I have not <laughs> reached that level of elite status. My membership status has not uh, gotten enough points yet, I guess. So what goes on in the back of the bus? Um, it, it's usually just like you four and then maybe a producer or two. I'm stuck in the front with whoever else is is on that bus with us so uh fill me in because i only get like to peek back there sometimes uh well luckily i was grandfathered in uh, the researcher before i got here uh kind of sat where i sit now and so i was just kind of told like hey this is where you sit just in case the guys need to ask you questions about anything and so you know it's a, it's a lot of cracker jokes and you know we'll we'll have our our power rankings in terms of schools that we've seen and things like that um, but for the most part, I'll just say what happens on the bus stays on the bus. So I don't think Jerry and Howard even talked to me the first year. Like, last year was my second one. <laughs> you know, we got a little more familiar with each other. Not that they're rude or anything. You know, I was just a new guy, and, and it, it takes a while to get that comfort level, I think. But this year, I think I'm pretty comfortable. I think I could even maybe slide back there for, for a, a leg or two. You never know. It's, it's worth the shot. I mean, you know, if you catch them in a good mood, they, they might be accommodating. But, you know, they definitely they definitely like their space. Yeah. They like to kick back. Updates uh, to come. We'll, uh, we'll fill that one out. We'll yeah. see. Uh, all right, last question about the bus tour and last question of the interview. What are some of your favorite stops? I mean, this is the first time since I've been on it that we won't be – in East Lansing for less than 12 hours. I think we actually get to hang out there for a little, a little <laughs> for bit. For once, the right? Falls. For once. Yeah, take me through. What are some of your favorite uh, favorite stops on the on the tour? Uh, I always like going back to East Lansing. I love going to my, my second home, as I like to call it. Uh, I'm definitely glad to be there for longer than, you know, like just a couple hours. Um, Penn State always treats us great whenever we go. They, they do a great job, and they might have the most scenic practice view uh, in the Big Ten with the mountains. and It's been really nice days, too, when we're there. It's not like, it, like, the scenery's been helped because it's been beautiful outside, too. It, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'd say those two, I mean, getting to, to D.C. is always great. Mm-hmm. Um, That's one of my favorites, too, yeah. yeah. Getting to Minneapolis in the summer. We always, always get two always nights great. in Minneapolis because yeah. a certain uh, <laughs> certain staffer here, you know, has some ties there, and he likes to make sure we do it big there. But if you're going to get two nights, I like being in yeah. a big, big city to do it. Put us up know. nice there, and, and – uh, Lincoln, Nebraska is another one that I like getting to. And I think we yeah. only have one night there this year, which is uh, a little bit of a bummer because it's really nice in that, that area. It's kind of the best combination of, like, a downtown slash entertainment district, I think, that we stay in as far as our hotel goes. Agreed. But I do like the fact that we get a night in Madison because the last couple years we've either had day trips to Madison or we've, and come back or we've gone straight from Madison to Minneapolis. So I like the fact that we get a night I'm, in Madison. I'm very excited for that. We'll have to hit up the Terrace. Yeah. Have you been there? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was oh, going to yeah. say, that's, I haven't been there since I was in school 
Um, we visited for a football game, but um, yeah, like you said, I'm very excited to get a night in Madison. My favorite college town that I've been to, not only in the, the Big Ten, but in the entire country. So, with no no disrespect to my alma mater, Illinois, but uh, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun to get a night in Madison and. I agree with you on all the stops. Those are all good, yeah, good, and I, good spots. And just for a personal thing, I like I like going to Columbus because my nephews live about an hour away in Dayton, so a lot of times they'll come up and visit, and then I get to we always get see a, those little guys. We always so get a lot of downtime good. in Columbus yeah. the way it falls, so look forward to that too. And, and Columbus is fun in the uh, short north high street area. There's a lot to do, so I'm looking forward to that as well. Exactly. All right, H, we'll see you on the bus. Uh, we'll see if we – maybe we can do a little bus tour edition. We'll see. Yeah, I'm cool with that. Uh, we got interviews with – players hopefully at each stop so we have a lot of content coming we'll ramp it up as we get into the football season and uh stat head segment we'll be back in full force sounds good man looking forward to it all right all right thanks once again to megan and harold joining me and and as i touch on the top of the show we will have a ton more football content headed your way really soon we're going to try and talk to the player at each stop on the btn bus tour at all 14 campuses stay tuned for that don't want to miss an episode be sure to subscribe on itunes or i guess apple Podcasts now they've kind of ditched the itunes moniker and uh if you have an android it's on google play and podbean and then we're on btn youtube channel as well so don't miss that and um i want to give a thanks and a shout out as always to my producer julie bronder stitching the episode together appreciate that and i appreciate everyone for tuning in and listening today and uh following along as always all right we'll wrap it up and we'll see you really soon from the road on the btm bus tour really looking forward to it and uh looking forward to talking to all you soon here on the take 10 podcast